0: That Triathlon Show, 350. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview John Green. John is a former professional runner turned running coach. He is currently the head coach of Adelanda, New York, which is a women's professional running team founded by Mary Kane. And he's the coach of Molly Seidel, who is the Olympic bronze medalist from the Tokyo Marathon and also recently new American course record holder for the New York City Marathon. Before we get into the interview with John, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration creates electrolyte products that you can match to how you sweat and fueling products that make it easy for you to hit your numbers. Today, I want to mention the Precision Fuel range, which is Precision Hydration's range of energy products, including drink mixes and gels. There are two main reasons to choose the Precision Fuel range over other energy products. The first is that each serving contains exactly 30 grams of carbohydrate. Not some odd number that makes it difficult to do math when you're in the heat of the race, but it makes it really easy to just multiply by 30. You can keep track of how much you've consumed. And that makes it easier for you to achieve your target nutrition strategy. The second main reason is the taste. The precision fuel range is of a neutral flavor and very mild mildly flavored as well to the point that it's almost impossible to dislike. So even if you don't generally uh, like gels or sports drinks precision fuel products are likely to go down easy. Again, making it easier for you to achieve your nutrition strategy. You can use the promo code DETREFRONSHO15 to get 15% off your first order on precisionhydration.com. And a big thanks to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a swim training tool that you can use at home, allowing you to improve your technique, work on power and stamina, and save time and stay consistent. It's a fantastic way to work on swim-specific core activation because the instability element of the bench forces you to stabilize your core and it helps you work on a high elbow catch. Because the height of the swim bench is perfectly designed for forcing you to keep that elbow up. You can get tips and workouts on for the trainer on Senate's social media channels, including their YouTube and their Instagram. The Senate Swim Trainer is very affordable, similar to a pair of running shoes, and it's even more affordable with the 20% discount code that you can get on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. If it helps you get more consistent with your swim training, then it might be one of the best investments you can make. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Coach John Green. Welcome to The Triathlon Show, John. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
0: Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, why don't we start with uh, you giving us an introduction to yourself, who you are, what you're doing now and your background in in running
1: yeah so i'm uh i guess well known now or more well known i should say than i was as a runner but um yeah so i'm i'm uh, i'm a coach now in running um i coach uh, molly seidel as well as uh separately i coach a team in based in new york called atalanta uh new york um whose uh whose ceo is uh mary kane so she's one of my athletes as well and um as well as Jamie Morrissey and Eva Richardson, um, and so yeah, I'm 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 a coach now, but I was I was a professional runner for a brief period of time, as well as um, a NCAA Division One uh, collegiate runner, as well for uh, a college uh, or a university, I should say, Georgetown University down in Washington D.C
0: all right perfect and i want to start with that with uh, you coming into coaching from from your own running background uh you did race professionally for for a
1: while or uh at an elite level uh, i've understood yeah yeah so i raced for about a year and a half um with a professional team based in in boston yeah
0: yeah yeah so so with all of that background in running, collegiate, professional running, what have you learned about coaching for your own time uh, as a runner and uh, having worked with coaches that, that you have been able to immediately kind of take away as valuable lessons for yourself as a coach in running now?
1: Yeah, so I've had uh, good and bad coaches throughout my career, and um, each one has taught me a new a new thing in in running and how I approach things. I do I do coach a lot based off of how I experienced things as a runner and how, um, both I was treated in good ways and bad ways and whatnot, and what I found worked for me. And so in that, in that instance, and I was, I was kind of injury prone as a runner myself. And so I've done with, dealt with some injuries. And so I've also experimented with like what treatments work, what different treatments didn't work for me, but also hearing from other runners who, Also, I had an Achilles issue a decent amount. And so uh, talking to different runners about work, what worked for them during my time as a professional runner, elite runner, I should say. And um, yeah, so that's all all those kind of factors have been experiences that have helped me um, kind of step into the coaching world and understand kind of uh, an athlete's perspective and where they might be coming from
0: yeah yeah great right. and uh let's jump into a bit more around your general training and coaching philosophy uh can you just mm-hmm. in your own words describe uh, how how you view that at a high level
1: yeah so i i play i guess i i put a lot of emphasis on the um, mental side of things i think if you go into a race not ready to run fast or not ready to kind of uh, dig down and hurt during a race, then it's not going to go well. Um, and so same thing with workouts and stuff like that. So I kind of refer to as two different uh, gas tanks, if you will, um, where you have you have your physical gas tank, where everybody's kind of experienced the overtraining and getting bogged down with uh, too much doing too many workouts or having the intensity with the runs be too high, um, which can physically drain you. And then you also have the mental side of things where if, if your cortisol levels are super high and you're super stressed out with everything else going around in your life, um, it can make a simple, easy work. What would normally be an easy workout really difficult. And that kind of can also compound and, um, negatively impact your training in the, at the, at the end of the day.
0: Mm. and how do you manage that that mental side and uh the that mental gas tank uh is is that something that you um you measure in some way or uh, or how how do you
1: try to manage that with your athletes it's just uh, it's just talking with athletes and being having an open like open honest dialogue with them about what's going on in their life how things are going i like um especially with my professional athletes that I coach, um, I, I try to be as aware as possible, what's, how they're doing, what's going on. Like, um, and just, it, it becomes, I'm obviously a little bit younger than a lot of coaches. And so um, it, it allows me to be a lot more like on the same playing field. Like we're both, we're both of us are going, a lot of my athletes and, myself included are going through their twenties right now. And so I can relate to a lot of things, whether that's uh, trying to find housing or like um, or like, yeah. Dealing with parents, things like that. We all are like dealing with relationships, things like that. It, it's just a common conversation that um, can easily come up and stuff like that. And so in that instance, I'm, I'm I'm able to relate to them pretty easily. And so with that is like if they're going through a breakup, let's say it's it's one of those things where I'm I, I know what it's like. <laughs> like. I've gone through a fair like my own breakups and like it's I know what it's like and versus somebody who maybe is married in their 40s or 50s um, might not be as close to like what a most recent breakup might have been like right and so kind of things like that i guess where i just try to like i just try to talk with everybody and just like be friends with them um and just like yeah have a have a close connection
0: yeah and in in the squad that you coach then so so you would still then i mean obviously there is a lot of um things that they do that the runners would doing common in a in a team like that but but you you take that individual approach of if somebody seems a bit run down whether it's mentally or physically then you say hey take take these days off or or do something easy instead of coming to the track today is is that kind of how it works
1: Yeah, exactly. So it is, obviously it is uh, like with Adelana, on New York, it is very much a team aspect of things, but I'm also making sure that I'm looking out for the individual during it. And um, if I, if I see somebody kind of struggling in the same way as if, if you see, if if a coach sees a runner limping during a rep, they're going to say, "Whoa, like you need to stop, like, you're going to hurt yourself more in the same aspect. I look at it from like the mental approach. If I, if I hear somebody's go like struggling mentally a lot, like I'll definitely I'll, I'll pull them aside and be like, Oh, like how's everything going and just chit chat and see how things are. And if they're not doing so well, then it's like, all right, well, how do you feel about this workout? Are you, are you a little worried about it? Like, how do you feel? And they might be like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like that's one side of things. This is the other. I want to work out. It might actually help me. I'm okay with them working out of course. And it's that open dialogue where they feel like, they can say no i'm i'm i want to I, I maybe i do need to take some time right now or I, maybe i shouldn't run today and so it's that like trusting the athlete to give me uh their honest feedback on how they're actually doing
0: mm. and and on the physical side of things how how do you manage that how do you manage the the volume the intensity uh, do, do you have any particular thoughts around would you call yourself like a high or moderate or low volume and uh, and intensity coach or if you want to label put any labels on, on the training uh, that you're doing
1: so i would definitely say i'm a higher volume uh coach i was as a rule i i like running time on feet i think that's super important um and intensity is where i kind of start to fall by like back off a little bit um and so that usually means um I don't usually uh, specify paces that need to be run on runs. Um, but I do like, I do encourage, like if I, if I see a runner who's running super, like super slow for them, right. Like, um, if I, for example, like if my normal runner, like elite runners run anywhere from six thirty pace, I would say to, for women on the women's side, at least like to seven eight minute pace. Um, if I see one of my runners kind of running like 12 minute pace, it might be one of those things where, like, hey, listen, we need. Like, I know you're tired. Maybe we're taking this day off instead of um, going out and doing this uh, this run because uh, biomechanically, you you might get you get lazy with things, if you will, and you're almost interrupting yourself to uh, um, more injuries. So, yeah.
0: so, so just for the listeners that are uh, listening in kilometers kilometer pace that would be four to five minutes per kilometer pace uh so you're yeah. you're referring to to the standard kind of endurance aerobic runs uh, in in that in that example yeah exactly
1: just just easy running yeah uh yeah. yeah i do you guys call them steadies uh
0: no easy aerobic endurance i think everything goes not not
1: okay. i, I personally right. <laughs> wouldn't call it steady steady would be more on the sort of higher aerobic end for, for me but it's yeah. I always find it interesting that pe- like people around the world call different runs different things, um, and yeah. so it's yeah easy runs versus I've heard people refer to easy runs as steadies and stuff like that, and so yeah it's <laughs> yeah it's also different
0: between different sports. So as a I actually came to triathlon from a running background, so I'm very mm-hmm. well aware of the running terminology. But what most runners would call a tempo run. A cyclist, for example, would call a threshold workout or a triathlete, triathlete would call that kind of a threshold run because triathletes draw a lot of terminology from cycling. So,
1: so that's also oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. it um, is. <laughs> we just keep talking. About <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. The, the terminology that exists, of course, of cross, across sports and across different countries as well. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, I want to piggyback on what you said there about not prescribing paces. Uh, is that something that goes for the easy running or also for the harder workouts that they're doing? And and if that is for both of those cases, uh, would you, how would you prescribe? Is it more of an a perceived effort that you prescribe by, or can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of, uh, perceived effort, but I'm also prescribing paces. So I'm also, um, like, if Mo, let's say, for example, Molly's doing a, a progression run, I might say, we're going to start at, let's say, six minute pace and progress down. And I'll be like, this is the speed limit that I don't want you running faster than. And but I also want you like for a, a longer progression run for where it's like an hour long or so, I want to make sure that she's it's also a mental exercise of learning where her body is and lear, lear, learning where like the red line limit is and like yeah so it's it's both a mental exercise for her as well as a physical like training exercise if you will but if we're doing if we're doing mile repeats on the roads or thousand repeats on the track or something like that, I get more specific of like, all right, let's, let's be around this pace. Um, let's okay. be around five five twenty fives, um, let for per mile. And so let's, let's be around there so that, um, yeah. So that way on the same, like we're not running too slow and we're getting the workout in, but we're also not running too fast and getting bogged down. So the next, the, the next workout is, um, we're still recovering for the first one and we're able to absorb that effort, if you will. Hmm.
0: And and when you say that you do, you're maybe a bit more conservative with the intensity. Does that refer to, uh, as you kind of alluded to now, each individual intense workout, leaving a little bit in the tank, not not absolutely going to the well, or or does it refer to more of an like at, at the macro perspective when when you aggregate all the work that was done in the last week or month or so, that that you just overall do slightly less intensity or maybe a combination of both even.
1: Yeah, I think – so I guess my – I have a little bit of a saying where I'm like I want you to be at like 90 – I want to work out and be at like 95 to 97% um, for workouts versus like I don't want you walking away from the track being like I don't – like I had – I gave everything on the track. I That was like a race effort. That's not what I'm looking for from – for like sessions on the track or sessions for like on the roads or whatnot. It's – I want to have a little bit left there and so that, yeah, it's not – something where we're where you've we've given it all but in the same aspect if as you step back and look at it that allows us to kind of maybe get in a little bit more volume in at times and um It allows us to keep that mental tank topped off the whole time or maybe we're taking a little bit out of it each time. And so we're not we're not getting buried and bogged down. And so it allows for more consistency, I feel, long term, basically, um, if that makes sense. So definitely. And then we are doing we are there are times where you're doing hard sessions on the track where it's like, okay this is like maybe it's once a month once every six weeks or so you're, you're getting on the track and you're doing, you're doing something hard, but you always probably feel like, yeah, I could have done maybe one more rep and that would have been really difficult. But like, uh, we're, we're being like, we're being a little bit more conservative there.
0: Yeah, yeah and and on the volume side just to to get an idea what what sort of run volume uh, are we talking about here and maybe it's different for for Molly compared to uh, the um, Atlanta NYC team
1: but uh, what what ranges are we talking about um, I mean so for somebody like Molly it's 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 super high obviously like she um, she got up to like 130 135 miles per week um, in uh, the Sapporo build and um so she's she's always like I mean she jogs into 100 miles a week like for those I don't know if everybody follows her Strava but check it out and it's like you can see the curve like um it's just super like super steep curve there um other other people it's I have athletes that are running anywhere from 50 miles a week or uh 60 miles a week um so it all depends on the athlete. My my goal, I guess, with athletes is to make sure that um, it's we're not if like, we're not going, doing a wave up and down because of injuries and stuff like that. Like, I don't want us to go up to it. Maybe it's for some athletes, maybe it's 60 miles a week, or maybe it's 50 or maybe it's 40. Like, I don't want us to go up to 45 and then have to come down to 30 because, Oh, we have a little Achilles issue or like planners bothering us or um, something else. I want to make sure we can kind of hold that higher mileage and then gradually increase it over, over a time period. And so, um, if, I'm okay with take lowering intensity on certain weeks by lowering volume, but I don't want it to be dictated by the body of injuries, right? I don't want to be risking injuries, and so if that means we're running five to ten miles less per week, I'm okay with that if it means um, we're gradually over time building it and we're not having to deal with little little injuries here and there,
0: yeah, yeah um, and uh, what about form work? Is that something that you do in? some way or another is that is that a big part or do you see that well the athletes that at the level that they are the ones that you coach they've already kind of over many years developed and optimized their form for their own individual anatomies
1: yeah so i definitely i feel like if you can ch- like form is important obviously if somebody's doing something that is like blatantly like going to lead to injuries i'm like yes i will i will kind of comment on that and try to change it and see if we can modify it in the same aspect here, I think all, all the runners I coach are older and a little bit more like their bodies are set in their ways, if you will. And so I think if you go to change somebody's form completely, you're going to lead to them possibly being opened up to more injuries, which then is counterproductive towards um, like consistency at the end of the day. But so it's, it's, it's definitely on a case by case basis. Um, I personally, during my like, when I was in college, I needed to relearn learn how to run, if you will, because I was crossing my midline quite a bit with my feet. And so that was leading to a IT band issue. And so that was something I need to like relearn how to do because I was crossing <laughs> as the uh, as the uh, guy I was seeing said the worst he's ever seen. And so that was something where it was like, Okay, this needs to be modified in order to make sure I'm not going to get injured in the future, hopefully. Mm, yeah, yeah,
0: um, and terrain and uh, other tools like uh, like even treadmills and and stuff. Is that something that you use with maybe? I mean, in New York City, it might be might be difficult. Well, you have parks, so I guess you have some yeah. softer surfaces there. How how do you use ter- terrain and different running surfaces in in your program?
1: Yeah. So if, if we're going to be doing a road race, like Molly doesn't work out on the track a ton. Um, most of thing, most things we do is on, on the roads because it's, um, we're racing on the roads and it's, it's the same way of like, if we, we rarely, if ever do workouts on dirt roads and stuff like that, because it's, um, it, it's not the service we're training on and it is a little bit different there, Um, so in that aspect, I do like pay attention. Same thing with the track athletes. They're mostly working out on the track if they're going to be racing on the track. Um, but as for like looking at terrain from more of like a hilly perspective, we mostly, um, don't like we, I, 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 tell my athletes not to necessarily search out hills, but we're also not running away from them. I think just having a, like a varied, like, variation in terrain is super helpful towards um just being an overall good runner and like strength runner um so if somebody's in the same way where i don't i tell my athletes that you can run on trails i don't have a problem with that until if we start running into issues right like if i have an athlete that keeps rolling their ankle in these single track track trails that are super technical like i'm gonna be like hey listen we need to be smart here because going back to the original point is it's affecting our consistency, right? Like we need to make sure like we're like being consistent with our training. And if we keep rolling our ankle and almost break your ankle, that's not going to help us. Right. And so in that aspect, but I, I generally don't, um, care as much, um, after seeing the course in New York city, like the downhills were something that like, I think we, we should have worked on a little bit more if I was to look back at it. Um, and so, um, with Molly being in Flagstaff, I think, um, doing some runs that have a little bit more of a steeper downhill, um, just to kind of work on that. But obviously you can't, and just being, making sure we're saying like biomechanically efficient and not getting like loose as we're coming down the hill because of, uh, like that can cause more issues basically. Mm, yeah,
0: and it's it's quite interesting to hear actually because uh, you do hear quite quite a few uh, running coaches talk a lot about uh, just getting getting their runners to run a lot on soft surfaces and staying away from the roads just due to the mm. injury risk. But but funnily enough, I, I just heard another podcast the other day uh, with uh, Max Paquette, who's associate professor at uh, one of the universities in the US. I can't remember which one, but he's yeah he's really good with biomechanics and and also has now done work or his students have done work on running surfaces and he said that well it's really not that easy that hard surfaces are necessarily Mm -hmm. sparing you or like that soft surfaces are necessarily sparing you from injuries any more than than hard surfaces and, and there's just a lot that goes into it so it was quite uh, quite enlightening actually and, and a lot he brought up a lot of things that I honestly had no no idea about but but what I was going to ask about that uh, is uh, with when it comes to shoes and uh, shoe rotation and shoe use uh, is that something that you are actively helping your your athletes with like telling them okay run in these types of shoes or uh, rotate them at this amount of mileage or like rotate them at, at, and retire them at this amount of mileage how, how what recommendations do you have for that
1: yeah. So I don't, like, I feel like that becomes, it becomes into the, the micromanaging of an athlete, which I try not to do at all. Like, I really, like, at the end of the day, uh all my athletes are adults. And so they are, like, they are fully capable of picking their own shoes out and running in whatever shoes they think are correct. In the same aspect, though, I do, like, I'm kind of always looking at things and making sure everything is like checking out in, in a way like making sure that like, yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll, like, if I see the bottom of a sole of a shoe and I see it's completely worn down and there's no like hard rubber on it, it's like, okay, well, why are we running in this? We need to get a new shoe. Like we like, get in your shoe like it's it's not worth any type of risk we might be taking there um in the same aspect if i see the back of an uh, uh, athlete's achilles and i notice that it's all rubbed raw because of like basically their shoe back of their shoe keeps bothering them and like that's something where i'll pay like i'm paying attention in those kind of ways so i'm noticing things if like either in the instance of like possibly getting injured because we've overused a pair of shoes or if I'm noticing that like it's bothering, uh, like it's causing any type of pain or whatever runners, (laughs) me included can be stubborn at times. And so they're like, Oh, it's fine. Like I can deal with like putting a bandaid on the back of the Achilles. Well, it's like, why? Like there's so many pairs of shoes out there. Why do we need to like mess with that basically? And so that's kind of my um, approach to things is like, I'm, I'm not gonna tell a runner how to like what shoes to wear or whatnot. it's It's up to them. but if I see things going awry or it might af- affect something in the future, then then yeah, like I yeah, I think that's something that I, I might step a, a step in and say something and I present it more of like in a, a term of consequences or, you know, um, where I'm like, hey, listen yes, we can continue to run in these shoes, even though they look completely dead. Or we could spend money or we can, like, we could buy a new pair of shoes that will take 15 minutes to do. And we are completely eliminating the risk of any type of, um, any type of like possible injuries that these shoes might cause us because they're so worn down. Right. And so, and that when you put it in that perspective, it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'm just going to get new shoes. Like, um, especially if the athlete is sponsored and not paying for shoes, like, it's, it's one of those no-brainer, like, listen, just get a new pair of shoes. I mean, I, I remember hearing a while back, I don't know if it's true or not or whatnot, but, like, that some professional athletes rotate their shoes or get a new pair every 100 miles, and which is just, like, an absurd, like, waste, if you will, a little bit. But it's also, like, yeah, but they want to make sure that they're at the best of their ability and doing the best they can, and sometimes that means, like, having a little bit of waste, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, there's I can't remember the name of the company, but there's a a shoe company that is um i think i think they were supposed to launch this year i saw this a while ago and their whole business model is to you order a pair of shoes from them and then you send in your old pair and they recycle them and, and make the new shoes from the recycled material so but so yeah that that helps with with some of the waste but uh, yeah I agree with you 100 miles sounds sounds excessive I have seen <laughs> heard about some data even from the the super shoes that at least, uh, at least like I think I've heard of 150 miles and they were completely the same springiness and the same running economy and benefits as as when they were new so um yeah anyway let's move on to the next uh topic and i want to discuss a little bit more about uh, your coaching relationship with with molly so first can you tell us about how that came about
1: yeah, so we were both on that professional team that I mentioned earlier, um, based in Boston. And so, um, me and her—so she went to Notre Dame in uh, in South Bend, Indiana, and I went to Georgetown University. And but um, our both of our teams are pretty close um, with each other. And so, during that time, we we had known of each other and kind of we went to footlocker cross country championships back in um it would have been 2011 i think and so we we actually have a photo of us together where i'm actually standing behind molly in the the whole like class photo if you will um for that for that year of at um the championships and so we, uh, yeah, so we, we'd kind of randomly bumped into each other, knew of each other, friends of friends, and then we both ended up on this team together. And so, uh, we kind of hit it off immediately and became best friends and, um, we basically, she decided that she was going to leave the team, that it wasn't the best fit for her. And so she stepped away from the team and I, I just shot her a text and was like, Hey, listen, like I'm happy to hold a stopwatch or help out in whatever way I can. Um, I'm just interested in like maybe helping you out in, in this transition period essentially. And, um, uh, we sat down, met at a, uh, a cafe and just kind of chatted for two to three hours about, um, everything related to running, which in my book is everything in life essentially. And so, and we talked about what worked, what didn't work over time, what, what had been going on in her life right now and stresses and stuff like that. And, um, what she had planned in the future, what she wanted to do. And, um, she was kind of just coming off of a, I believe it was a hip issue at that point. Um, and so again, number one thing was just about con- consistency. And so we had found that the higher intensity work that she had been doing previously had probably led to a lot of the in- injuries that she had, had and so um we basically backed off the intensity and um again she she can walk into 100 miles a week really easily um and so we just kind of played with the mileage and bumping up mileage a bit i think she was probably doing like 115-120 and um one thing that mileage is really good and just basic aerobic work is it it shows off is in uh, in the marathon and so we had planned to do um, the Houston Marathon, but she ended up getting a half uh, half marathon qualifier for the U.S. marathon trials. And so she stepped into that. We decided to do that instead of the full at Houston, which was, uh, I think it was about eight weeks before so six to eight weeks before and so we we showed up to the what
0: what was houston before the trials or the trials yeah
1: houston um houston was before the trials by six to eight weeks or so um and so most professional runners were using that as their um their their half in their marathon build and so we decided to, to copy them and do the same and use that use that half and then yeah and then she uh, she ended up making the the team in the for the US in the Olympic trial or for the Mar- US Olympic team in the marathon for the women so yeah that's kind of the, the short of it if you will <laughs> a very quick brief one but yeah, yeah we we kind of just met and became uh, good friends and started working together essentially
0: yeah, that, that's really cool. And uh, as you mentioned, she's she's based in Flagstaff, and uh, you're based in in New York City. So, yep. and that's something that for any triathlete listening to this, that will be okay. That's that's no, nothing weird about that at all. Because in the triathlon world, we've been doing that for for decades, almost with remote coaching. But in the running world, I feel it's maybe maybe a little bit less common because it is more based around teams and and things like that local coaching so how do you find that the the remote coaching relationship uh works
1: yeah we've obviously had a ton of success it's funny um after the trial she was back in boston for a period of time and um we kind of we were i was going to a workout of hers and i realized that that had been the first workout i've ever seen her do in person and so we, we quickly had a lot of success in working remotely and it worked really well. And so that's something that we've continued to do and we've had success with it. Obviously. Um, I still, I fly out to Flagstaff a decent amount. I, I do spend it like, it's not a fully remote where I only talk to her on the phone. I will like, um, I, I will fly out to fly. I was on Flagstaff the week before the New York city marathon and, um, I, during the summer build, I was out there a number of times. And so it's not like I'm fully remote by any means, but yeah, so I am, we found that it's just communication. And so, um, like we, again, we're, we're best friends. And so, uh, we're almost constantly texting each other and just kind of, um, uh, just talking, um, about random things in the same way of like, I'll just give her a FaceTime call to say what's up. And also to see how training's going, of course. And we, if, if anybody was to listen to our conversations, we'll go on random t- – I uh, might ask about a run or like how the workout went and – she tells me a random story about something else, but then we come back to talking about training and another random tangent comes about. And so it is that like, we're just good friends at the end of the day. And so, um, it's just catching up with a friend at the end of the day. And, um, because of that, like, it helps me understand everything that's going on with her and making sure that like, again, I'm not draining the mental tank or, or she's not draining her mental tank and, um, I'm not draining the physical tank as well. And it's, it's that balance basically. Mm, yeah,
0: and uh, if we talk a little bit more about the training she did leading into the Olympics, obviously she's had so much success now with first the trials and then the Olympics and now New York City Marathon most recently. Mm. That uh, it's, but but the Olympics is kind of obviously the, the biggest stage, uh, if you will. So so it would be interesting to hear a little bit more about how how she built into into the games, what her training was like. So can can you explain that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, exactly. So our goal with, um, basically, so she qualified for the, uh, the Olympic team for the U S in the marathon. And that then like, it was probably two or three weeks later that we kind of learned like, Oh, the Olympics are postponed, which is never, or actually it's probably happened in the past, but like, it hasn't happened in recent times, of course. And so, um, that was something that it was, um, new to us definitely and new to a lot of coaches and so i think everybody kind of was like how do we approach this and for us it was something that was beneficial where we just saw it as another year to build consistency and build on the workouts we had just been doing since she was kind of she was really injured in the the summer of 2019 and so it was just kind of like we can we can change um and build on this strength. And so that's what we were concerned with. And we we tried a couple new things with um, just doing double threshold workouts was something we really worked on doing, um, which um, ha- had really helped her um, and helped her like build that aerobic fitness as well as um, we worked on build- lowering the uh, pace at which she does her threshold repeats, as well as um, building up the mileage a bit. Um, and so we got up to kind of that 130 135 range and um, so that's that was kind of the biggest thing was trying to build having this extra year. We wanted to take advantage of it and building on uh, making sure we uh, did everything we could to show up in the li- on the line uh, like a year and a half later essentially um, and, and have a good race. And so we obviously we did London Marathon as well, which, I mean, that was the second marathon she's ever done. And so we were just trying to gain as much experience from the distance at that time. Um, and so, yeah, it was just everything we were kind of doing for that next year and a half, um, whether it was training or racing or whatnot, everything was like just trying to gain experience and, uh, build strength aerobically, um, in order to have, hopefully have success at the games, which, uh, we, we did, which was awesome.
0: Yeah uh so follow up on that because uh, everybody listening is now wondering okay what is a double threshold workout <laughs> can uh, also they're wondering what what pace she's running them at when when you're saying that uh, you lowered the pace a little bit so so can you yeah, yeah. can you just give those details
1: yeah. So, um, I, I, got the idea of doing double threshold from, um, my former director of track and field, uh, who is Mike Smith. Um, he's Galen Rupp's coach. Um, and so, and also the, uh, director of track and field at NAU, which is based in Flagstaff. And, um, I had talked to him a little bit about, um, this idea of basically, so you, you go out in the morning and you do, uh, threshold repeats, um, for Molly that's around like five twenty-five, five twenties ish. Um, And so we're doing 60 seconds rest on that. We're doing it on, um, on the road. So a little bit of variation It's a pretty flat course though, if you were to look at it on like a a profile, if you will. Um, and then in the afternoon we're going, usually for Molly, we're going down to Sedona, which is I think about 5,000 feet. And we're doing, um, just, uh, in the earlier in the build, it's, it's mostly just uh, mile repeats again. So it's two sessions of mile repeats. Um, and uh, doing those a little bit faster, um, it's funny, the, the athletes I've talked to who've done it, they almost feel a little bit better in the afternoon, which is kind of funny. Um, but it's a shorter shorter session. They're maybe doing four, like Molly's doing four by mile in the evening and just kind of um, getting a little bit extra aerobic work in um, on that day. And um, it allows her to do more volume on the day than if she was to just do like a straight session. And it, it I found it helps um, not drain that mental tank because you're you're breaking the sessions up essentially
0: yeah yeah uh so 525 520 is around 320 per kilometer and uh, i've i've heard i think the Britson brothers might might be using double threshold workouts as well uh, or at least i've heard that in scandinavia it's quite common practice these days as well it's quite quite trendy from mm-hmm. from what i've heard um so so when you got closer to, to the games, what, what would you say that a typical week looked like for her? We, not necessarily the last three or four weeks, but, but kind of two or three months out, out from the games, what, what would her training be, like a standard week?
1: um normal standard standard week is either it's two workouts a week in a long run um the long run can be i leave it up to molly's discretion usually on it um whether it wants to be like a little bit hard like a medium long run or just an easy one depending on how the week goes um and so if if we come off of a uh if I guess in the instance where like if we have a hard week of training coming up or the workouts are going to be a little bit harder that I I'll kind of warn her about that and she'll see it on the schedule. And so she'll know, okay, maybe I should take this a little bit easier and not press it super hard. Um, But in the same aspect, if she's feeling really good and she knows she has hard workouts coming up, she also knows her body super well. And so um, she, she'll kind of make that adjustment and uh, like trust her body. And um, I trust her with that. And so And usually, yeah. So it's usually either a Tuesday, Friday workout or a Wednesday, Saturday workout. Um, and then we normally long run on Sundays. Um, I like to give, uh, if we're doing a Tuesday, Friday workout, um, we usually give Saturday as the easy day of the weekend um, and then Sunday is the long run. I like to give a little bit of period, like gap so that the, run, the long run can be a little bit more higher quality than if it was um, stacked up against a, a, a workout. Um, and then we operate on a seven-day schedule. Mondays are the start of the week. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty basic. It's nothing, nothing special or anything like that. Like I said, everything's kind of thrown up on Strava. Um, so people can kind of check out and see what she's doing. And, um, I I definitely don't advise everybody to do what she's doing. What she's doing is crazy (laughs) at times. And so, um, but yeah, like we're, I'm pretty open with, um, what we do for workouts and stuff like that. It's, um, it's fun to engage with the community, um, uh, triathlon or running, or anybody who's interested in in the uh, the workouts that she's doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so let's dig deeper for those that uh, that don't have straw or don't want to dig dig into that that yeah, deep. Exactly, Just want yeah, exactly. Yeah, So so the workouts that you do on a on a Tuesday and Friday normally would would they be predominantly of, for example, threshold nature, or do you mix it up and get also get in faster intensities like approaching 5k even faster intensities what what is the yeah do you have a a kind of thinking around around that for a marathon runner like molly
1: yeah so uh, we definitely don't do super fast stuff um um we we generally won't touch anything faster than um than 10k pace stuff um she will do like she'll do 200s if if you like (laughs) i was gonna say if you look at her job but if you if you yeah so for her she'll do 200s and stuff like that and um turf strides are a big thing that I like to incorporate and she likes to, she feels that those help a decent amount. And so, um, just for like getting a little bit of turnover in, but they're not necessarily a, um, we're not looking to build speed with them, if you will. It's just trying to flush out the legs. Um, but yeah, as in the beginning, it's a lot of just like long aerobic work, a ton of volume, um, trying to increase like a lot of threshold, a lot of longer progression runs and stuff like that as, as the build gets closer to the race, we, we start to incorporate a little bit of faster stuff. So those double thresholds then become maybe I like to do some 600s in there. Um, and so the 600s is a little bit faster than what they'll be faster than five twenty pace. Um, and so those might get into like the 77 down to 75s and, but they're still on like pretty short rest. They're still on like fifty to sixty seconds rest there, but we're a little bit lower as well. We're only about five thousand feet. And so yeah, that's it, it kind of does slide into more of like a half marathon um like we're working on a little bit faster stuff instead of just like the slow, like high volume marathon training. Um but yeah, and then we'll do like some four hundredth on track on occasion just to again not not crazy fast by any means. Um relatively of course. Um for professional athletes there, it it might be down to like 75s. if maybe a 74 is thrown in there, but it's anywhere between like 75 and 80 seconds per quarter, um, usually. And so, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what it looks like is just, um, a lot of volume a lot of time on feet and making sure we're just getting consistent workouts in week after week after week Um, yeah and which is which is the grind of the marathon (laughs) nothing compared to triathlon running triathlon training though from what i've heard but yeah
0: (laughs) well yeah it's it's uh each of them have have their sides of course i do still remember (laughs) marathon training and some of the most grueling training that i ever did was when i was training for marathons even though of course, triathlon. In the long run, uh, yeah, the volume is crazy. <laughs> but yes. but but certain workouts, uh, you just. I, I guess that yeah, certain workouts that you can do running, like preparing for a marathon, or maybe I did a bit too much of that as well. But yeah, I still remember them and I remember the pain uh, of and uh, the exhaustion of a, a really sort of solid marathon phase long
1: run in the last four or five weeks before the race. Yeah, exactly, and that's well. To kind of look at, and I don't. I'm uh, speaking off the cuff here. I don't know a ton about triathlon training. I, I couldn't tell. Actually, I was speaking with um, um, Sarah True uh, a couple days ago because she was in town for the marathon, and they were talking about how many hours they train. And I want. I thought it was like thirty. Thirty to forty hours a week, or something like that, and it's just like mind-boggling a little bit. Like, I, um, I,
0: think, I, think, I, think, I think that's the highlight reel. Yeah, you definitely have certain weeks that are in that range, and I don't think yeah. many athletes are averaging that amount of training, if any. Yeah. If, if, but yeah, you have a lot, a lot of professional athletes that are averaging twenty-five to. 28 hours per week and then you have some that might get close to 30 even even as but but yeah they, you definitely have some some athletes that will in their peak weeks reach definitely 35
1: hours or, or so yeah, which is just kind of like it, it's it's not it's amazing what you can do when you're not doing an impact sport the entire yeah. time. Obviously, like with cycling and running, it's it's uh, or cycling and swimming, it's it's one of those things where it's not impact, and so yeah, you're not. It, it's a different limitation of your body, and so versus us, where we're worried about um, either stress fractures or tendonitis issues or something like that. Where yeah, it's it's, it's, it's wild. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. swim like a so that's my excuse why i don't need to swim so (laughs) So, yeah
0: i've always thought that uh that if uh, runners started to do a bit more cycling as cross training just get more aerobic volume in like that they could reach even higher performances potentially just by because you you tend to see that cyclists have slightly higher vo2 maxes than runners do Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of it might have to do just with the higher training volume uh, a yeah. lot of it at low intensity so so i'm just wondering if runners started incorporating some aerobic cycling as cross training and got their training volumes up if if they could benefit from that but but maybe it yeah. would also just impact negatively on their run training so so yeah
1: yeah and like i guess to go on a bit of a tangent here is is that something that that's something i've worked with with my athletes is you you so i do have a little bit of lower intensity as opposed to other coaches where like people are talking, always talk about their workouts on Strava, not Strava, but like Instagram and stuff like that. And they're always the flashy workouts you see, of course. And, um, it's one of those things where people are like, Oh, well, if I was doing that, like I could run X, I could run this much faster, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, it's, it's, it's a, a game of what ifs, and you can, you can what if yourself to death, but at the end of the day, like if if these workouts lead to you getting injured, then it's not worth it at the end of the day. Like we, like if you look back on a major training block that you've done and you're like, listen, I couldn't have done one more thing in that. Then listen, like do bumping up the intensity and like having this romantic view of like, Oh yeah, I just want to do all the flashy workouts. You're going to get injured and it's going to lead to worse performances at the end of the day. And so, um, yeah, that's something that I've, I've talked to, with my athletes about I'm making sure that, yeah, you're, you're doing the training that's right for you, not what's right for somebody else. Somebody like, a um, a professional athlete, like a miler could never do what Molly's doing, but also Molly could never do what they're doing. And what Molly does isn't as flashy as what, as what the miler is doing. If they're running, like, um, I remember, uh, mcloofy posted this crazy workout of him doing 800s it's a it's a video on youtube i believe and it was just like oh my goodness like this is like insane but it was like oh yeah i could never do that like i would just get injured immediately <laughs> like also i didn't have the leg speed i wasn't an 800 meter runner but that's beside yeah. the point <laughs> yeah yeah, um, uh, one one question to go back to the to the
0: Olympic preparation is just uh, so you mentioned some of the long runs would be a bit more moderate when when Molly felt like it and uh, the schedule allowed for that. Did, did you do when you got closer to the race, did some of the long runs become really the key workouts? And if so... How did, you, how did you structure them basically? What, what were the key long runs that or examples of, of one of the key long runs that you did in the, in the preparation with specific work or progress, progressive work or something like that?
1: So some of the long runs, what we'll do is um, instead of doing a second workout of the week, what we'll do is um, the second workout will be built into the long run. And so she'll basically, Molly will do like a longer cool down, a longer warm up um, and, and to turn it into a full long run. And then we're doing, um, maybe it might be on-off Ks. We're running a little bit faster than marathon pace and a little bit slower um, than marathon pace, alternating with no rest in between. It's just constant. Um, Things like that where you're getting in some longer effort. Same thing with, like, if we're doing um, Molly's marathon pace, like, steady, like, marathon pace workouts we haven't gotten super long compared to some athletes. Um, we we built up to, I think, a 14-mile um, marathon pace workout. Um, but so in those instances where if we're going to do that on the second half of the week or in the beginning, like, you have these massive, big-volume days. And so just being, like, a little bit erring on the side of caution. And, um, I like, eventually what will happen is for Molly's specific training with the marathon is it will start to become – where she can handle more volume and more intensity in the week. And so in order to do that, we might do like have a normal long run as well as a big session on like Friday, let's say. And so you're doing big session Friday, big session Sunday of like, she's going out for a 24 miler um, on Sunday and probably getting in um, like 13 to 16 miles at marathon pace um, for, her which is, is a big effort as well. And so it's, it's kind of that like, and then the conversation needs to happen there is making that sure that like talking to her about that. And like, after we go through that weekend is being like, okay, on Monday, how is she feeling? Tuesday, how's it feeling? Like, do we have any like little injuries that popped up? Like, did your knee start bothering you? Like, what, how do, how do we feel here? Did you feel like you were absolutely dragging on Sunday? Like, and it's that conversation there of being the, like, understanding the whole scheme of things of how, how everything's feeling at the end of the day.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Really good. Uh, One other thing I wanted to come back to was uh, the easy runs, and uh, how how do you prescribe them? Do you have do you have a maximum pace allowed, or or do you just say easy, and then you leave it to the athletes? And do you ever have problems with some athletes that tend to run too fast for their easy runs, and and you have to kind of rein them in? Can you talk a little bit more about the intensity for uh, or lack of intensity for easy runs?
1: yeah so a lot of the times to be honest with you, I go go for your easy run, do what feels natural um and i I do keep again it's similar to how we talked about like shoes or something like that or running on different surfaces and stuff like that i I do try to keep a an eye on things to see if um to make sure everything's is, is going well and kind of have the try to have foresight on it and being like, okay, this person's running six minute pace for all their runs. Like that's not going to be beneficial. That's going to take, it's fine right now because we're doing just a base phase with not, we're not doing any workouts really. We're just kind of building up. Um, But as soon as we get into workouts, they're going to get destroyed because they're not going to be able to handle everything in the same aspect. If I see a runner going out and jogging, like we said earlier, I will say something as well because I think that can lead to injuries as well. And so it is, it's just kind of keeping the medium good um, and just making sure like the extremes aren't being hit um, in the same aspect. If I see a runner going out who normally runs uh six or six or seven minute pace and going out and running eight thirty on their runs, I'm going to ask them like, Hey, is everything okay? I noticed this. Um, it is are you okay? And they might like they might have been like, Oh, yeah, well, I'm actually a little sick, but I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to miss this next workout. And that's kind of where I come in as the coach and be like, Well, that's like you need to tell me these things because it's going to affect directly how this workout's going to go. And so I'm gonna, I might say, like, say this happens on Wednesday, I might say, Okay, well, let's like, let's see how you start feeling. If we need to push the workout back to Saturday, we can do that where it was normally it's gonna be on Friday. Or maybe we get to Friday and you're still they're feel stealing down like kind of like crap then like, okay, you know what, we're not going to do the workout on Saturday, we're going to scrap this workout and it's just kind of trying to notice the little things and the symptoms of of possibly a bigger problem that might exist there, I guess. Yeah, yeah.
0: What about strength training or strength and conditioning or other cross training? Is that like mobility and, and things like that? Is, is that something that you incorporate in your coaching?
1: That's something I have a weakness in, to be honest with you. Um, it's something that I am actively trying to learn more about um, is strength training and uh, how, how flexibility can help and or like what exercises can be done in order to help prevent injuries Um, in a lot of cases I refer to a person's PT or, um, strength and conditioning coach, um, to help them. And then I try to learn from them on, um, why they're giving certain exercises and whatnot. But, um, I definitely, I, it's a place where I'm lacking knowledge and, um, I've, I'm reading books on it and reading papers that are being published and stuff like that on, I'm trying to be the biggest sponge that I can be of, um, understanding everything and, try to be that full full wealth of knowledge but as of right now in my career that that's somewhere where i i do have a bit of a lacking um and so i i refer to people who know a lot more about it because i i don't at the end of the day so
0: right yeah is that something that molly uh did uh well not or does in general uh regular strength training or is it not not so much a part of her training
1: um, she does do some strength training. Um, it's a lot of injury prevention stuff than it is like heavy weight strength training, I guess. Um, but yeah, she, she will go into the gym and go into the gym at times. Um, she has a, like a home gym as well on um, that she uses, but a lot of it is, um, injury prevention more so than it is. Um, like, yeah, she's, she's not trying to max out on her like cleans, you know? <laughs> so Yeah
0: or the, maybe those biceps curls but that's it no, <laughs> yeah
1: exactly yeah. she's benching like <laughs> like 150 pounds is wild <laughs> yeah. um one
0: one question i wanted to uh, dis- ask you as well is um how you view quote-unquote speed and and how important that is for distance runners uh is, is that something that you think that You know, you learn to run fast first and then you kind of try to extend speed and you build endurance and then you can, uh, especially if we're talking about maybe a runner that is younger, that is kind of a a view that a lot of coaches hold. Uh, Or do do you think that actually, well, a lot of speed really comes from just aerobic strength, like you you can run, like running three minutes per kilometer or 5.30 five 515 per per mile is not really speed it's just being uh, having being a really good endurance athlete so, so yeah how, how do you view that speed and and is it a prerequisite for distance runners or is it something that
1: they develop as they develop that aerobic engine yeah so at the end of the day like uh like it's speed is, is something that naturally occurs in somebody's legs. Right. Um, I will never break 10 seconds in the hundred, right. To give an extreme example. Um, in the same way you do need to be aerobically fit and aerobically calm going into, I mean, if we're looking at the 5k or 10k, if you're, if you're struggling to get to a quarter to go there, um, then you're not going to be relaxed enough in order to like, close in like a 52 or a 53 right if you're like at the top of the sport and so um there is there does need to be that like you need to be aerobically fit enough to get there and aerobically fit to make it through the rounds and strong enough to make it through the rounds so that with that final lap to go you're 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 comfortable um so yeah that is something that is it's important but you also need to make sure that you're not um an athlete's not super bogged down where they like they just don't have like the the stamina essentially to sprint or do like some harder stuff as you do more mileage obviously it becomes harder and harder to like get up to top speed and touch that top speed constantly and so it is it is a balancing act there um somebody like Molly where we're never like she's not like i also believe i guess yeah, I'll go with that. Um, so like with Molly is is something where she's doing, um, she's doing a ton of mileage and we don't need to necessarily do a ton of like speed training. Like I said, most of our stuff, we don't really get faster than 10K pace stuff unless she's doing some just turnover, which is more about helping her feel good um, for the next coming workout or next coming run. Um, but in the same aspect, like I don't think – um, for somebody like Molly, where she's had success in the, the marathon, that doesn't mean you can't. She can't step back down to the track if she wanted to. Um, she said it in other interviews, so I'm quoting her. But she doesn't. She doesn't love running on the track, and so. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't incorporate it. She did a 10k um, race where she paced some friends to a uh, Olympic trials qualifier in in the 10k, and so that was something where she she like she does step onto the track, but it's. Like it's not her favorite event, and so we don't necessarily need to worry about um doing some like higher intensity things. Cause again, in the beginning that that's when I started coaching her, we were worried about making sure not to get injured and we're trying to make sure that she stays consistent and not injury free to for the most part.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh if if you have a five thousand or ten thousand meter runner and and they kind of uh they come to you, they they still have gaps to uh Gaps that they need to uh, to minimize to get to the level where they want to be, both on the kind of endurance side and the speed side. Where would you start? Uh, Is that a question that you can answer? Like, what is the priority?
1: Yeah, I mean, for I guess looking at like what a a block would be going into trying to run a fast 10k or running a championship 10k or 5k is is going to be basically in the beginning working on aerobic strength um, and really honing that aerobic strength, getting strong and then as we get closer and closer to that race, we're starting to sharpen up a bit, I guess. And, um, and lead, we're doing faster workouts We're we're doing VO two max workouts during that first kind of period, I guess. And then as it's becoming a little bit more, a couple more VO twos, but we're also start doing some faster stuff where we're, um, we're touching mile pace stuff, um, a decent amount. And, um, volume is also coming down at that point so it is like a transition into so that when we get to the um to the 10k or 5k we're we're not in we're not in just like straight thre- uh we haven't just been doing threshold the whole time but we have like we have the aerobic strength from earlier on but we're also we have the like turnover and we feel good running biomechanically like at at speed.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, and we've been talking about uh, professional running professional runners here mostly but yep. if you could give three pieces of advice for amateur runners uh that want to improve
1: their running performance what, what would that be i i feel like with looking at being in the professional world and kind of being surrounded by that i do i do coach amateur athletes on the side so um i do, I, I do that and so i do i work with them is i feel like the biggest thing is making sure like The athletes are, they see what the professional runner is doing at times, I feel like, and this isn't everybody, of course, this is a a generalization, but they see them doing these crazy things and they think that they're not like the pro athletes are just ignoring what their bodies are telling them, but they're actually super in tune with the body is telling them and their body is just able to accomplish this work without giving them issues. But as soon as a like a professional runner has issues they're they're listening to their body and immediately trying to address it and i feel like that's something that more amateur runners can lose sight of is not listening to their bodies and kind of letting their bodies um like get dug into a hole where it's hard to get out of and stuff like that and so that's kind of i guess that's one big one I could think of where it's like, listen to your body. Like if that means you're running slower on easy run days, like that's fine. Like you don't like, you don't need to do that. Like you don't need to hammer your easy runs in order to run uh, a fast, uh, like a fast race that you have coming up, I think. Um, And I think just having fun fun with it at the end of the day is, is the number one thing. Like, um, all my athletes um obviously there's good days and bad days don't get me wrong, and they'll be the first to tell you where there's days where they wake up and it's it's pouring rain outside and um it's they don't want to get out of the bed and they don't want to go out for a run, but they have to because it's their jobs in the same aspect it's like if like for for the amateur runners like yeah there's times where you definitely, you need to get out of bed and you need to go for a run, but there's also times where it's like yeah maybe maybe you lay in a little bit and um it you run at eleven a m instead of like 9am or at 5am or something like that or you you postpone your run a little bit and it's taking and allowing you yourself to enjoy the run i guess at the end of the day
0: yeah yeah and when it comes to specific training for the marathon what are two or three key workouts that you would recommend would be good good choices for most runners in 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 a build-up to a marathon
1: I think longer progression runs, um, and it's obviously going to vary, uh, athlete to athlete of how long that progression run is, is of course. Um, but I think that is just such a, a beneficial workout for like learning, learning like your body and and learning from your body of like oh this is where my red line is this is because there'll be times where you progress too fast and then your body's like nope we're not at that fitness yet and it bounces you back up and you have to slow down which is obviously not the goal of a progression run it's to get faster each rep or each each mile continuously and so it's it's learning it's learning about your body in the same way of um there was a workout i did in college a lot which was six miles at night ninety thirty 30 fartlek where it was 90 seconds seconds on 30 seconds off. Um, and of course you can do shorter versions of that. You can do longer versions of it, but the 90 30 was a really good way to kind of learn about pacing without looking at a watch. Cause usually GPS watches aren't quick enough to catch like 90 seconds and get like an actual pace of what you're running. And so you have to again, feel it out. Um, and then 30 seconds, if you overcook yourself in that 90 seconds, like it's going to take multiple 30 seconds, like reps to catch back up and so it really teaches you about balance of of running and whatnot and um learning about your body and then again at the end of the day like it's just threshold like strength work of like getting on the track and putting in putting in the work in order to uh build that aerobic system that you have
0: yeah yeah and those are all, all great uh great examples i like that six miles 90 30 fart leg that, because that's a good that's a long time as well for a lot of athletes a uh, fart especially amateur athletes i feel uh it, it tends to be quite a bit shorter uh perhaps mm-hmm. or, or at least not as much work at that intensity so maybe more of a one-to-one work-to-rest ratio than the three to one that you have there but actually as you say that that's a great way of making sure that you really work on pacing and uh yeah getting getting that balance right between yeah not not overcooking the the early 90s
1: because you still have a long way to go at that point Exactly. It's it's a it's always whenever I prescribe that to one of my athletes and it's their first time doing it. I I am I warn them multiple times beforehand. Like you will like if you are not careful, you're going to suffer during this work. Like you're going to make it a way harder workout than you think. Like start easy and then progress gradually as you see fit. And almost every time they come back and they're like. I went out too hard. I died, <laughs> and it's just like, but it's 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 that learning curve, you know what I mean? And yeah. that's and that's a super beneficial workout at the end of yeah. the day. Uh, yeah, you you can't do
0: that ninety seconds much faster than maybe a, a tiny bit, a fraction faster than threshold pace, but not not much faster than that. I don't think, and uh, or 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 what what sort of paces are
1: would your top runners do it at? Um, I so it's it kind of depends, like. I remember – so I don't give that to a lot of my elite runners, to be honest with you, um, because it's – a lot of them have already almost not mastered it completely, but we use the longer progression runs as they're, like, learning about it. Um, for the more amateur athletes is when I give it, or is like, an introductory workout for the um, the more professional athletes. Um, and so it's, it's not a real – Good estimate. I remember I would do it. I guess like ons are probably around like th- when I was in peak fitness, like four forty pace, which was probably about ten seconds under threshold pace for me um, for mile for like mile pace. And then the thirty seconds were probably like at five thirty ish. If I was to guess, five five forty maybe somewhere around there. It's hard to I know it was averaging like uh, around five minute pace for for the whole thing. So. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so you're averaging you can, just Somebody out there can do the math on what I was yeah. actually doing.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're averaging just under just just slower than threshold for
1: you then. So that's actually really oh, good. Okay, error. yeah, yeah so yeah you're right then you're spot on yeah
0: <laughs> well yeah no actually no what no actually i wasn't because i was thinking that the 90 second repeats would be at basically threshold but actually they are quite a bit faster
1: uh, oh okay gotcha yeah yeah, yeah but know. you're a- yeah you're averaging a little bit slower than threshold than yeah, at that point yeah yeah, so. yeah but obviously you need to be quite fit to be able to to do it uh in in that kind of it's way. a hard workout it's not yeah. fun i've blown up multiple times on it yeah, <laughs> yeah and uh well
0: you've already kind of uh, answered this question you said that you're learning a lot about strength and conditioning at the moment but is there anything else that you're currently learning about or are just fascinated by
1: and, and uh, trying to get more information on everything man uh, to be honest with you like i am trying to learn as much as i possibly can um i like it's it's funny like Right now with New York City, I had like I took a little bit of a downtime on I had other things to focus on um, with like li- with just the chaos that was the week leading into it and whatnot. But um, I basically I'll like at any one time I'll have like I feel like a 30 tabs open with a bunch of different studies. I just like basically I just go down uh, a wormhole of like looking at like anything that affects endurance runners, basically like anything that, um, could possibly, yeah, help a runner run faster or help prevent injuries or help them, um, like, yeah, do well with traveling and stuff like that. Like if a runner is struggling with, um, going, getting out of their comfort zone by traveling, cause they haven't done it a lot. I try to like, I try to learn about that. And, um, yeah, I'm always trying to learn from, the mentors that I have in this sport and which are my previous coaches and stuff like that. And just trying to learn as much as I can constantly about, about everything. And Cause, um, hopefully one day it'll all pay off. And it'll like, I'll, I'll, I'll re- re- refer back to like, Oh, I remember reading this. I remember like, this might be a good way to segue into it. And so I save all the articles and just have them in a folder of like, yeah, things that I, uh, I, I can learn more about basically. So constantly yeah. everything.
0: Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so now let's move on to the rapid fire questions. So take just one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is, Go for it. what's your favorite book or resource related to
1: running or endurance sports? Um, Favorite book. Um, it's It's not a healthy book, but it was a really fun book that I read and it was influential in like how I like, approached running and it definitely didn't make it, uh, like, yeah, it was, it was an interesting book and seeing like the bad side that can happen in running, but also in cycling, it was the secret race, um, mm-hmm. which was, um, a view into Lance Armstrong's, uh, um, like team, um, during that and how bad it was basically, which is, yeah, yeah it was, it was, that was really like influential and in seeing like, yeah, how, how things can go really badly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's an important habit
0: that you've benefited from athletically professionally or personally
1: i actually i sleep a lot and when i don't get a lot of sleep i become kind of grouchy and so i like i'm to this day i'm still in bed at like 9 p.m and wake up and like get all my sleep that i can possibly get like i don't run well off a limited sleep
0: (laughs) yeah that's great and uh, finally who's somebody you look up to or that has inspired you
1: That's a difficult one. Um, There's just so many. Um, hmm, uh, I would say all my coaches at at Georgetown. I've whether it's uh, Pat Henner, Brandon Bonzi, Mike Smith, uh, um, or or, uh, yeah, or Julie Cully. Yeah, they're all like super, super helpful. Like yeah, every single one of them has been really influential and uh, helpful and guided me.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, finally, where can listeners follow you on uh, like social media, website? Uh, you and you can mention both your the uh, Atlanta and NYC squad as well their their profiles where, where we can follow how your team is doing.
1: Yeah, so um, Atlanta uh, New York City is the name of the. I'm, I'm going to pull it up. I just want to make sure I got it right. Um, yeah, Atalanta NY is uh, the the team I coach for based here in New York city, obviously by golly, Molly is um, Molly Seidel who I coach separately from that team, but also a great follow. She's kind of funny on Instagram. Um, I'm go green XC on Instagram. And yeah, um, that's the best way to reach out to me is um, usually sliding into my DMS and um i i try to check them as best i can but yeah i'm um, i'm usually pretty pretty friendly and happy to answer any questions usually um uh that people might have but um yeah just uh i might be a little delayed in them at times
0: <laughs> well, well uh, thank you so much for taking the time to coming on and chatting to all of the listeners through this podcast i really appreciate that john and uh yeah good luck for uh, the rest of the with the racing season if there are any races left we're coming to the, the end of the year here but uh, if nothing else remains then the next year there's there'll be plenty of racing to go so good luck with
1: that thank you i appreciate it. thanks for having me on
0: I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As usual, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com, where we'll have links to John's uh, Instagram, as well as the Atlanta New York website. And remember that you can find, if you're interested in running-related episodes, you can find that on the episode archives page on scientifictriathlon.com. We have an automatic filter, so you can just select the category you're interested in, whether it be running, swimming, cycling, strength training, whatever it may be, you can find that easily in just uh, one click on scientifictriathlon.com. While you're browsing scientifictriathlon.com, be sure to check out our services and products, including coaching, our training camp and our training plans. If you're serious about improving your triathlon performance, then we do think that we are one of the best places around for that. So don't hesitate to reach out if you have any more questions about what services or products might be best for you. We'll be back next Monday with another episode. At the moment of recording this, uh, I don't yet know which guest and topic it will be, but uh, I have a feeling it will be a good one. So stay tuned. Uh, tune in as usual. Subscribe if you're not already subscribed, and I'll talk to you then. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy and book a free consultation about hydration and nutrition with one of the pH experts. Use the code DETTREFLSHOW15 to get 15% off your first order of electrolyte and energy products. And thank you to Senate. Use the swim trainer to improve your technique, power, and stamina and increase your swim stimulus frequency even when you can't go to the pool or open water. Get 20% off your order of the Senate swim trainer with the promo code that you get at senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep trading smart and keep loving craft.